I don't know how many of you have had the opportunity to be at this particular pulpit. You have two clocks. They didn't warn me about the two clocks. <laughs> Rabbis aren't used to clocks at all. And uh, go on and on. You know, rabbis, generally speaking, are generally speaking. You've heard that phrase. <laughs> to have a clock back there and a clock here reminds me just of a quick Hasidic statement. The Hasidic rabbis always teach by using daily things to talk about. And a rabbi told his students, you can always learn from everything in the world. So they thought they'd get him, and they said, okay, tell us, what can you learn uh, from the telephone? Rabbi smiled and said, what you say here is heard over there. Well, what can you learn from a telegraph? Every word is counted and charged. And what can you learn from the train? And he responded with a smile, if you're one minute late, you miss the whole train. <laughs> so this morning, I've been living in a kind of trauma, which I hope you'll understand. If the sermon is not what you expect it to be, it's a case of post-traumatic stress. <laughs> this morning, I want to speak with you, not at great length, but speak with you about this time of the year, both for us and Jews, and also for you as you begin Lent, this being the first Sunday of Lent. And I want to share with you something I'm going to try to share with you in the presentations which I shared with your wonderful senior high group this morning, and truly enjoyed being with them. I'm going to take some of them back with me to New York. I want to teach you this. The Bible often poses questions for us. And we tend to read it without hearing the question. We'll be asking lots of questions the next few days with and for each other. But this morning I want to raise a question which doesn't appear to be a question, but let's see if it's there. In Genesis 1... God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw the light that it was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness God called night. There was evening and morning, a first day. Now that's pretty simple. Very clear. The problem is... A few verses later, just a few verses later, when we hear the following. God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the sky to separate day from night. They shall serve as signs for the set times, the days and the years. And they shall serve as lights in the expanse of the sky to shine upon the earth. And it was so, and so God made two great lights, the greater the sun for day, and the lesser the moon for night. God saw that this was good, and there was evening, and there was morning a fourth day. 
So what's the problem? What happened to the first light? Where is it? You don't hear about it too often. It's not talked about in the biblical text anywhere else. Where is it? What happened to it? That first light. Some say, and I was trying to teach the high school seniors today, the important thing is the questions. The answer is you'll get a million answers, but the important thing are the questions. So what happened to it? Some say it's a hidden light. It's an organus in Hebrew, which means that it's hidden away for some special moment. Some say it's reserved, like some of the parking spots are reserved. In Dallas, by the way, they wouldn't say reserved for the rabbi because they thought if someone knew that, we might get shot. So they just said reserved. Didn't tell us. Didn't say for whom. Some say it was reserved for some, for Moses. So when Charlton Heston went up the mountaintop, he came down with rays of light pouring forth from his forehead. Point being, he saw that light. Not Charlton Heston, Moses. I often said, wouldn't it be great if we could get Jews to look like Charlton Heston? Some say it was reserved for King David, who saw that light at midnight and composed the beautiful music and melodies for the Psalms. Words and melody. And some say, quoting the Psalms, it is sown for the righteous for the end of time, radiant joy for the upright. But the mystics had another answer, and I want to share that answer with you today, because I think it talks to us about us, about you and about me. The early mystics, Jewish mystics, called God the Ein Sof, that which is infinite, eternal, that has no boundaries, it's everything. But God was lonely. And so God decided to withdraw into God a little bit to make space for us. It's like when parents decide to have children and don't realize they're creating beings who can say no and get away with it. And get away with it. But somehow God out of love, God in search of you and me, withdraws into God for a moment to make room for us, for the universe, for the gifts of creation, for the beauty of the world, which we so easily take for granted. And God used that first light. Now, you know what happens when you concentrate light. Like a laser beam. It goes through everything. It can see everything. This light was so powerful, the mystics said, that the vessels which God had created, the emanation vessels, vessels, just couldn't handle the light. And that first light shattered into billions of sparks everywhere. The entire universe 
Our entire world is filled with these sparks. A catastrophe takes place. And that was one of their reasons for thinking that a perfect God could create an imperfect world. Something happens at the very beginning. For many years, that was the basis of Jewish mysticism and early Christian mysticism as well. But what happens in the 16th century in a little town in Galilee, a lot of good things come out of Galilee, right? Great things come out of Galilee. But a little town, 16th century Israel, the town's still there called Safed, Safat. A Rabbi Isaac Luri in the 16th century who creates Lurianic Kabbalah said, you and I have the power to put the sparks together. Unlike Humpty Dumpty, once he fell, you couldn't put it back together again. I've had that experience when I've tried to cook eggs. And you say, what happened? They don't fit. I once dropped, I must tell you, a piece of ancient pottery. Well, that was the end of a career as an archaeologist, I will tell you that. But one of the truths is, I couldn't put it back together exactly as it was. But somehow, Luria taught that you and I can put the sparks together. We can redeem the hope for the world. We have that power. Not totally by ourselves, with God's love and grace, but we can do it. And you and I know that. That's why you're members of this church. Because this is a church that stands for doing good for others. Not simply because you're good folk, which you are. But because you know that that leads to something. It's called tikkun ha'olam, repairing the world. And if you've ever needed a good tailor, you know what I'm talking about. Unlike your wonderful senior minister who doesn't have to worry about things like weight, I have a different problem with it. I have a different problem with it. But somehow, you and I know that we can do good things and put it back together repairing that catastrophic break at the very beginning. When we feed the hungry or embrace a child, when we build homes for the homeless or for those in need of shelter, habitats for humanity, when we free the oppressed or help someone in distress, when we act kindly towards someone we don't even like, we lift up another or pull outsiders whom we and others have left out into a circle of friendship and love. When we bind the wounds of the wounded at heart, people who may be sitting right next to you now who are crying inside, who are hurting inside, and we don't know. It's like a New York subway train. I look around sometimes 
And I say, I know there are people hurting here. It's got to be. But I can't tell. And I can be sitting next to someone in extraordinary pain and not even know. It's the tragedy of mass transit. That we really don't even know who's sitting beside us. When we do that, when we reach out and overcome that which divides us one from another, we understand that power of reunified light. Songs like, you light up my life. Or when we say a person who, I know that person, when she walks in the room, she lights up the room. And a person whose face with a smile can uplift the most depressed person. Now, I know there are those who say, I've fallen far away. Each of us is a sinner. But I was told by Abuju. Abuju is a Jew who mixes Buddhism and Judaism. That was, how she said, how could you say something like that in the synagogue, this holy place? Sinners. I said, are, are, do I know you? I mean, of course we're sinners. We make mistakes. Some big ones, some small ones. If we didn't have a God of grace and love, we'd be in real trouble. And we know about people who lift us up, but sometimes we feel we can't get over it. And for years we live with this inner darkness, feeling isolated from God, that our lives are dark. To all our shared faith traditions say, there are sparks everywhere. Even in those most withdrawn, most alienated, the hardest to reach, there are sparks, hidden perhaps, but they're always there. And I believe that part of this sacred time which we are in now, for you as Christians, the preparation and repentance and processing towards the day of both death and then resurrection for you, for us as Jews. In a week, we will begin the month, I say, counting up towards Pesach, the Passover. And you know that Easter and Passover mean the same thing. In essence, in every language but English, or almost every language, Easter is called Pesach. And Jesus is called the Pesach Lamb the Paschal Pesach Lamb. In this period of counting up to holiness, you and I can help bring that light together, can help make the darkness disappear or be transformed. We can somehow reach for the best that we can be. And the God who calls us to that return. Remember the prophet Zechariah's call to us. Thus says God, you want to know me? Then execute true justice. Deal compassionately one with another. Do not defraud the widow, the orphan, and the poor. Do not plot evil against each other. Have no fear, Zechariah says. Do these. Seek Speak truth each to the other. Render true and perfect justice. 
Do not contrive evil against each other. Do not love perjury. Love honesty and integrity. You and I can keep that light shining. We can help others gather even one spark and watch divinity at work. Make that your goal during Lent. Capture one spark. Clean the leaven from your hearts. As we Jews are supposed to clean the leaven from our hearts, and I tell my people, first clean the leaven out of your hearts, not out of your houses. Houses are second, hearts are first. So that you can be open to save the sparks that call us to who we are and what we are. We are, as uh, I said earlier this morning, let me just say this. This is like Rosh Hashanah. You understand that, Muzan. Only on Rosh Hashanah do I have back-to-back -back services. Rosh Hashanah is the Jewish New Year. Otherwise, you know, once on a Saturday is enough. But... But it's wonderful that you're here and that you come. But as I said this morning, it's like the count on Sesame Street. Now, some of you are sitting there saying, what is he talking about? I know you know Sesame Street. And I know at one time or another, perhaps by mistake, you turned it on in the morning or afternoon. And you saw the count, right? Count was like one of these NASA scientists. He taught our kids to count by going 10, 9, 8, 7, 6. We Jews and Christians do not count down. We count up. The first day towards that day. The second day towards that day. The third day towards that day. See, we don't know when zero is going to be. We only know counting up day by day. And we're counting up to those days and you can count up to. For we are restoring the light, you and I, and we help reunify and repair the light of creation itself. Now listen to Isaiah. Arise, shine, for your light has dawned upon you. God will shine, a nation shall walk by your light. Now listen how the Bible's talking about the Bible. I was talking to the kids about a Boeing theory. Because they didn't have books, they heard the word. And all of a sudden you heard a word used in a different way and you said, ah, that's what the Bible's talking about. Look what Isaiah says, no longer shall you need the sun for light by day. That's the point of the end of time. You won't need the sun for daytime. For God shall be your light everlasting. Your sun shall set no more, your moon no more withdraw, for God shall be a light to you forever and your days of mourning will be forever finished. And Zechariah adds to that, In that day there shall be neither sunlight nor cold moonlight. There shall be one continuous day, and only God knows when. And at eventide there shall be light. And on the insignia I wear on my prayer shawl, my talit, it says, Habokir or, 
at dawning there is light. That's what we're working for, you and I. That's what we're trying to make happen. And I am telling you that everything you do or I do makes a difference. It's like that Hebrew blessing for bread. We're thanking God for the fertile earth. So what do we say? Praised are you, Adonai, our God, who causes the earth to yield forth its produce. But you never say that blessing over wheat. You only say it over a finished product of bread. Why? Because this is a joint enterprise. It's a limited partnership because one partner is senior and the other isn't. But it's a partnership. When you bless bread, you bless the work of your hands on top of the work of God's hands. And so that's what I want you to keep in mind these days of Lent. And that's what I want my people to keep in mind as they get to Passover and eat those matzahs which only my mother loved. I still can't handle either the crumbs or the matzah. But that's my problem, not yours. I want you to come back with me in time. A couple millennia. You know, Christian scripture teaches us so beautifully and so elegantly and so profoundly that Jesus taught in the synagogues. Now, if I had forgotten it when I was listening to the pastor's sermons on your website, it's another issue I have with my congregation. I have much that I've come to Tulsa to learn. And when he spoke about Jesus in the synagogue, starting in the synagogue, I want you to come back with me. I want you to close your eyes for a moment. Close your eyes. I won't do anything. Don't worry. I want you to close your eyes. I want you to imagine Jesus in an ancient synagogue. Trust me, not quite as beautiful as this church. And I want you to imagine him teaching the prophets to those who were studying with him. And the basic message he gave when he quoted Zechariah which became the basis of the ending of every Jewish worship service. Zechariah taught, there will come a day, and on that day God shall be one, and God's name shall be one. Now, I want you to say it in the original language. With all due respect to English, Jesus did not speak in English. He read the text in the original Hebrew. I want you to hear it as he would have said it. So say it after me. Bayom Hahu Yihyeh Adonai Echad Ushmo Echad On that day, God who needs us, God who loves us, God who is most gracious to us will be one again because we will have helped put together those divine sparks. I know you can do it. You may not believe it. But I'm telling you, I've seen people do it. Add to the sparks in the world. You make a difference. 
And the rabbis taught, when you help a single person, it's as if you saved an entire world. That's why the Bible starts with Adam. And when you hurt a single person, you hurt an entire world. Just one person. That's all you've got to help. Just one heart that you have to lift up. Just one soul that you have to reach and touch and care for. And it's as if you have helped a whole world. So don't make excuses. You don't have time. During Lent, touch a soul. Before Passover, uplift a heart. Bind a wound. And you know something? As I sit at my Passover table, and as I read your wonderful, wonderful minister's sermon for Easter, I will say, they're putting it together. They're putting it together. And so may it be. Amen.